like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on the earth's head, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Amen. And may the Lord add a blessing to this reading from his holy word. I want you to picture a scene today. See in your mind's eye a large parade ground. We've just been talking about the armour of the Lord. We're now going to have a wee look at a military aspect to this. There's thousands of soldiers preparing for war. The Sergeant Major shouts a whole lot of commands in succession to the troops. They don't move. Instead, they start looking around to their friends and start questioning the commands they were given. No one knows what to do. They start getting unruly and loud. And as they try to figure out what they need to do, some leave the playground and go and sit at the side under the tree in the shade. What happened? The Sergeant Major gave his troops their instructions and they did not understand. A mighty force, but unable to do anything because as a whole, they just weren't unified. All the weapons were on hand, but when it ha what happened on the playground is nothing moved. There was no unity. There was chaos instead of order. Sound familiar? Vance Havener once said, Christians are like snowflakes. They are frail, but when they stick together, they can stop traffic. Why is unity so important in our daily lives, in our marriages, in our families, and in the body of Christ? Well, simply put, it's because unity unites and empowers and fosters peace and blessing. Unity ushers in the anointing, as we see in today's passage. The kingdom of darkness is opposed to unity. God desires unity in his body and in our lives and in our relationships since he is a God of unity. Heaven is a place of unity, not chaos. There is power in unity. It fosters love. It strengthens prayer. It minimizes differences. It releases the supernatural power of God and it ministers to the lost. In our text in Psalm 133, Unity is compared to oil, this anointing and presence of the power of God manifested among his people. It's pleasant when unity is present. And when the unity is present, God commands his blessing and anointing to be present as well. It's amazing that, isn't it? It's not as if God waits for us to get together and then blesses us. The blessing's there, and in order to uh, 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 get it for ourselves, we have to come together in unity. It's already in place. Where God's blessing and anointing is not present, we need to look to see 
if unity has been lost. Psalm 86 tells us this, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. In other words, unite my heart. Give me a singleness of heart. What are the chances of having an undivided church if individuals that make it up have divided hearts? In 2 Chronicles 30, and a wee bit of a long passage here, but let me read it out to you. Do not be stiff-necked as your ancestors were. Submit to the Lord. Come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God, so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. And the outcome of this unity, a wee bit further on if you read the passage, there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had not been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people. God had heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. Verse 12 says, God's hand or anointing was on Judah to give them singleness of heart. Because they receive God's anointing, they become of one mind and of one heart. Unity prevailed. God's blessing came upon them. Our attitude is important to God. Our heart attitude is important to God. He looks at the heart, not the body, not the mind or anything else. Unity starts in the heart and it flows through the rest of the body. Scripture's full of examples of what a unified church should look like. Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. On the day of Pentecost, the people were united and unified in spirit and they started to live in unity, fellowshipping and breaking bread and in prayer. That is what the body of Christ, the church is supposed to do and supposed to be like. The Christians continued in the word of God in prayer steadfastly, which speaks to their relationship with God. And they shared bread and fellowship. This speaks to their relationship with one another. To have singleness of heart is as important as singleness of sight. Our heart, if divided, will stagnate and fall by the wayside eventually. A house divided, like a heart, cannot stand. We need to get back to having unity of heart and sharing our bread and praying together. Look what happens when united believers uh, pray together. 
further on in Acts, read this. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? He's here, he's speaking, he's referring to a psalm. The kings of earth rise up and rulers man together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, didn't they? And the people of Israel in that city to conspire against Jesus, didn't they? They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Can you imagine going to a prayer meeting and the building shakes? Can you imagine that? I've just seen an earthquake in Turkey and Syria. And if you've ever been in an earthquake, you know what it feels like. Here it's a result of prayer and unity. Isn't that fabulous? Maybe that's a wee, a wee goal for every church to get together and pray to the building shakes. Maybe no. <laughs> Peter and John were preaching Jesus, but were forbidden by the legalistic leaders of the time. They didn't run away and keep quiet. Instead, with one accord, it says, or in unity, they cried out to God for more boldness to preach. And the Holy Spirit came upon them in an amazing way that the place they were in shook. If we can grasp the amazing power of unity, of being unified in one heart, well, we'll see more miracles. We'll see more salvation. We'll see more of God's power being displayed amongst the lives of the people. How do you unify a church? Well, a former pastor named Eric Daniel Harris has the following place of advice, and he pled guilty in November 1996 to the arson that burned down Kentucky Mission Baptist Church. According to the federal prosecutor, Harris said he did it because there was division amongst church members and he needed a project to unify them. So he set fire to the church. Well, that would do it, wouldn't it? It's a bit extreme, but you get the idea, don't you? Why do we usually need major catastrophe to help us to unite? According to Matthew, Mark and Luke, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Unity, or being unified, is a strength that gives our enemies second thoughts. Satan dreads the unity of true Christians, and he works day and night to stop it. The adversary of our souls is looking to make elaborate plans to, attempting to blow our spiritual houses in. He wants to devour God's finest creation, that's man unified with Christ. A lad in Sunday school class was trying to make his parents understand uh, what he'd, he'd heard. And he must have misunderstood what the teacher said. Because he said, 
there was this mean creature in the universe called the double, and he must be cautious. The evil one called Satan or the devil is lurking, waiting to pounce upon the saints of God. He will double cross, he will double and redouble his assaults on every dedicated and sanctified and conscientious Christian who is diligently serving and worshipping our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Double leffer really has a good name for Satan, isn't it? Indeed, a three-fold cord is not easily broken, is it? It is imperative that the bride of Christ, the church, understands and practices the concept of the unity of spirit. Unity is the one thing that will convince others that the church has something beautiful and ungodly would want to have. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, he says, if you have loved one for another. You wouldn't have to tell them it and they would see it. Now immediately we see two benefits, don't we, of spiritual unity in the church. How rare and exotic, says the psalmist. He says in verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when the church dwells in unity. To better appreciate what we're looking at, let's digress for a moment to see what's recorded in the early chapters of the Bible. If you look at the, the book of Genesis, and we see shadows of Cain and Abel in society today, but man's first sin separated man from God, didn't it? Vertically separated. Man's second sin separated man from man. That's horizontally separated. Cain's angry act put a temporary end to the brotherhood of man. However, Christ's accomplishment on the cross of Calvary bridges that gap again. We are vertically and horizontally split apart. Romans 6.23 states this, For the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So on one side we have the wages of sin, on the other side we have the gift of God. We see the, the word but and joining uh, the two together. So we need to see somewhere to place the end of that verse, isn't it? Uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So one side we see sin pages, pays wages, and that wages is death. A negative picture. And there's a positive picture on the right declaring the gift of God is called eternal life. And to join them, we just have to put in the verse, the rest of the verse, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the key to unity. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. No through anything that we do. No through anything that we say. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to get the unity. What a wonderful blessing the Heavenly Father has provided for mankind. Don't you see? Salvation from sin and the penalty is now available. 1 John 1 we read, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 10.13 For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall 
be saved. The vertical issue here is addressed, isn't it? We're now back in unity with the Father. The horizontal portion, the involvement of unity of the Spirit, is to be considered. Please remember at this point, we're trying to remember this Bible truth that Christ's accomplishment in the cross of Calvary bridges that gap. The words of Jesus say it best in Mark, don't they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbours as yourself. There is no commandments greater than these. Prime example of the unity of spirit can be appreciated when we consider that even before the creation of the world, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Ghost were united in orchestrating a plan of salvation. This plan of salvation for lost mankind. You see, I find this absolutely incredible. Before anything was made, anything at all, God had a plan of salvation. For anything was made, God saw you and chose you to be a member of his family through salvation. Isn't that incredible? Nothing was spoken, nothing was made, but already the plan's in place. That just at times knocks me out. I can't get my mind around that. I can't, I can't really come to terms with that. It's just fantastic. God did that for me, did it for you. Fantastic. First part of Timothy. Two, uh, verse 5 points to this for there is one God and one mediator between God and men and that's the man Christ God just didn't have a plan God had a man and that man accomplishes it for us now if we're made in the image of God and if our sins are forgiven and we born from above then unity must be prevalent amongst the saints of God if we love the Lord Jesus and we're all joined together in that, then we must have this unity. It must be there. It's back to what I was saying. The thing that unifies us all is the Lord Jesus Christ. None else. The value, the value rather, of the unity of spirit can't be underestimated or overstated. How can two walk together except that they agree? Brotherhood of man happens only when there's fatherhood of God. All are God's creations, however, not are all God's children. He is the Father only to those who are born from above. The Bible tells us quite clearly. Here's what Peter says. Now that you have been purified, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, he says. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God Matthew again truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for it will be done for, for them by my father in heaven for where two or three gather in my name there am I in the midst of them men's souls and eternal destinies are in the balance aren't they does the world see the brotherhood and unity amongst Christians as we stand in the world today? Who is us? It's we who are born again, sons of God, of the sons and daughters of the Almighty God. 
our responsibilities did not end at the point of crisis experiences of our salvation. It only just begun. When you became a Christian, it's only just starting. King David, son of Jesse, understood that concept and the idea of unity. It's fitting then that we see that Psalm 133 came from David's pen. He forced 12 disconnected tribes into a united kingdom. He centralised everything in Jerusalem. One may uh, ask, what do you mean by centralised? Draws everything in to the centre. Consolidates. It also means to bring under a single central authority example. David planned for Israel's temple to be the national symbol of spiritual unity. He understood that there must be a common faith in the living God and in his word for there to be any unity at all. When Aaron was ministering, the, it was the ministering priest, uh, 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 a sacred description of unity enfolds here in Psalm 132. By the way of a beautiful fragrance anointing oil, it says in verse 2, doesn't it? It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, or running down Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. I did a wee bit of research into what that oil would look like. And it's an anointing oil, and it consists of pure myrrh, sweet cinnamon, sweet calmus, cassia, and olive oil, all blended together for God's special purpose to sanctify all the holy tabernacle and all the furnishing and to sanctify the priests for ministry. For God, it was God alone to give. No substitutes. Anointing is not man's to give. It's from God only. He chooses, he calls, he appoints, he anoints. Ephesians, we would read, now there there are these gifts of Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until all come into such unity of our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Next, we can observe the psalmist's fascination description of the anointing's manifestation. We see how he describes it. First, it's poured on Aaron's head, showing the glory of his position, symbolic of Christ and his majesty, Christ, the head of the church, anointed head in heaven, Christ's fragrance fills all heaven. Then it flowed on Aaron's beard, symbolic of Christ and his manliness. True man, God's man, perfect man, perfect, fragrant, pure, loving, flawless Christ, Christ and his members. And then it flowed down onto Aaron's garments, didn't it? Symbolic of Christ and his ministry, his Calvary ministry where he gave his life a ransom for many, a continuing ministry to others. And it flowed down onto Aaron's skirts, it says, symbolic of Christ and his mercy that ministers down to the ground. 
down-to-earth ministry, not distant, but to where we are at any one time. Now to a great and unvivid biblical word picture of unity. Yeah, even spiritual unity. He goes on to talk about the Jew of Hermon. Verse 3. As the Jew of Hermon and as the Jew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. Now in the hot Mediterranean, Jew is vital to plant life. The tribes of Israel were blessed by that life-giving, refreshing summer mist or dew. Dew is symbolic of unity, formed in the still, restless night season, formed only when all is still and restful, never formed after a storm, can't be brought about by strife, rush, bustle, worry, ceaseless activity. Everything has to be still for it to lie. Dew is God's gift and it cannot be manufactured. In conclusion then, According to Psalm 133, uh, verse 3b, the blessing of unity is even life forevermore. God's spirit is quenched when they're squabbling. Where quarrels abound, no souls are saved, and there's no spiritual growth. People cannot be fooled. They know when they have come into the company of people who truly love God. I came to the Lord in Mary Hill Evangelical Church. It was there that I seen unity and love that these people had for one another. Accepting uh, the Lord as my saviour that night. I seen how they interacted with each other. You didn't have to tell me that these people loved one another. You didn't have to tell me that they had something that I didn't have. And I found that to be the Lord Jesus in my heart that night. I worship, I, I say I joined Yoker Evangelical after a search for somewhere to worship. I came out of the army in 93 and went around all the churches round about, just didn't feel right. Then I walked into Yoker and I knew I'd come home because there people loved one another. It was stuck out like a sore thumb. I could ask you to fill a milk bottle with the love that you have for your father, your sons, your, your brothers and sisters, and you can't fill a milk bottle, can you? But you know it's there. You don't need them to tell you it's there, you know it's there. So it is with the love of Christ. And when you see the love of Christ in a church, then you know it's there. Nobody has to describe it to you, point it out to you, you just know. So we must love God, must love each other, and we must love the lost. There we find the unity of spirit, even life forevermore, the psalmist said. Again, the vital portion of the book of Ephesians chapter 4 directs our attitude and actions in this matter. Paul says, Therefore I, a prisoner, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, he says, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, says Paul, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to the one glorious hope of the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
and one God and Father who is over all and in all and lives through all. Here under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Paul admonished his readers to live rightly in spiritual unity, just as we see in Psalm 133. It's after we've all been come aware of what God has done for us, done freely by his grace, then unity becomes easy. Drawn to a close then. Unity and faith are Siamese twins that cannot be separated. The one needs the other to survive. They share. Take away faith and nothing happens in your life. You are non-pleasing Christian to God. Take away unity and faith is worthless. True spiritual unity flows from the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people of God, the body of Christ, those that know the Lord Jesus as their Saviour. Can I really commend to you to work at unity, especially these days? We see a lot of disunity. But if we love one another, and we love one another under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then we will be able to be more effective here, more effective in Yoka, more effective in Glasgow. Yeah, let Glasgow flourish under the preaching of his word and by the praising of his name. That should be our aim, shouldn't it, really? Let's really look forward and look out and, and cherish a unity of spirit. It's a unity that you'll find no matter where you go in the world. No matter where you go, you will find a Christian because you will see them and you will know they're a Christian. You'll just bump into them and know they are Christian people. And you've got a unity with them. It's not just we cliques together. It's massive across the world. So let's try and reach out for this unity that we see in Psalm 133 and what Paul uh, describes here in Ephesians. Let's pray. Father, your word quite clearly tells us that we have to be of a unified heart and that we should be unified in all that we do. Now we know, Lord, that for us humans that is very difficult and we know that we are apt to squabble and disagree and fall out. Help us, Father, to be more like the Lord Jesus in this respect. If anybody has a beef with mankind, it's Jesus the way he was treated on earth. But still he went to the cross for us. And he went to the cross to die for those that hated him. Those that did not yet know him. Father, let the Lord Jesus be our beacon. Let him be our example on how to live together in a unified manner. Help us to see how pleasant it is. As the psalmist says, how pleasant it is for the people of God to be unified, united under Christ. Help us, Lord, to do this. Every day we need your help. Help us, Lord, to do this as we progress into the coming week and months and years that are ahead of us. And we are very careful, Father, to give you the honour, to give you the praise, to give you the glory, for you alone deserve it in Jesus' name. Amen.